part of the process or part of the requirements of showing up is quitting can't be an option. This is a very simple statement, but it's also very deep, uh, very deep, impactful statement. So the one thing, the secret to getting through SEAL training is to not quit, right? It's really that simple and that hard. If you just don't quit, if you don't quit every day, if you don't quit in every evolution, if you don't quit in every pushup that you're trying to do, you'll eventually graduate because everyone that shows up has the raw physical capability to meet the standards. So unless you get hurt or sick, you've got the ability to pass what standards they pass. So then at that point, it becomes a mental game of just not quitting. Hi, this is Joshua Spodek, and this is Leadership in the Environment. You're not the only one who cares about your impact enough to act. You're part of a global community undeterred by people saying, if others don't change first, then what I do doesn't matter and other excuses. We've read the science. We can do this. This show is about personal responsibility, acting, and improving your life by your values. As guest after guest says, the challenge was hard, but thank you for getting me to do it. I wish I'd done it earlier. Listen on for leaders to inspire you, hear their struggles, and then act. Go to joshuaspodick.com slash podcast to commit to a public personal challenge of your own. You're not alone, and you don't have to wait for others. Do you want to reach your potential? Do you want to get past seeing who you are and your properties as limitations? Larry Yatch will share about going from being what he is and we all are, that is regular people, to an elite practitioner of his dream. The biggest takeaway I got from this conversation, the one you're about to hear, is actually the two things are, one is accessibility, that anyone can do what he did, and Larry's desire to help. That is, Larry Yatch wants us to get for ourselves what he did, what we can all do. Now, maybe you don't want to become a Navy SEAL, but to become your version, that is what you dream of for yourself. And he wants to help enable you to do it. I guarantee that however much passion you hear in Larry, you have something that you will love as much as he loved what he did and loves what he does. Clean air, clean land, clean water, they may not be it for you as they are for me, but I bet that you'll get a lot more out of acting on whatever your thing is than you'd expect. Welcome to the Leadership in the Environment podcast. This is Joshua Spodek. I'm here with Larry Yatch. Larry, how are you doing? Doing pretty good. How are you? I'm very good. And so last time we spoke, we had an amazing conversation. If this is half as good as that conversation, I think it'll be a great conversation. And I want to start, there's something I've been saying a lot lately, and I'd love to get your comment on it, is that, you know, I had a comment for Inc. And there's a lot of business leadership stuff that's like, Navy SEAL does this, Navy SEAL does that. And what I've been saying a lot of is that if reading about Navy SEALs helped you become a Navy SEAL, Navy SEALs would read and not actually have to do all the stuff they have to do. And I think, and, and so I say, you know, you have to practice, you have to do things, you have to, you can't just read things. I feel like that's just scratching the surface, but maybe you've been through it and you described it in a very different way than I had, than I thought about what it takes not to become, but to, uh, how, how did you put it? Well, one of the stances that I have, at least from my experience of going through the process is that uh, SEAL training doesn't make SEALs. All it does is weed out those that aren't already SEALs, which I think is an important point. And it kind of ties into what you were saying about reading and learning. 
in that uh, if you show up at BUDS, basic underwater demolition seal training, so that's our, our basic training. That's uh, what you go through for six months. It really is the weeding out process. It, it isn't so much of a training process where, yeah, you do learn some stuff, but ultimately the main point of it is to weed people out. Uh, if you don't show up with the with a certain set of characteristics, a certain set of behaviors already in place, you're not going to make it through, right? It, it isn't that basic training isn't set up to build seals. And so that concept that you could learn to be a seal in training is false, right? You need to have a whole bunch of stuff in place ahead of time before you even show up, if you're going to successfully get through the training. And there was, I kind of want to talk about leadership and I want to talk about becoming a Navy, uh, revealing a Navy SEAL. And I also want to, you said some stuff about yourself last time that was really, the only word that comes to mind is touching of how you, is it too much to ask you to, to share a bit of your life story? The part of, of like, you knew from a very early age what you wanted to be, you became it. And then you, and then it was kind of taken away from you. Yeah. I don't like to ask someone to say stuff they said many times before, but it was, I think it's very meaningful. Oh yeah. I don't mind at all. Yeah, the the way I always start this story is that uh, Great American changed my life uh, in third grade. Uh, Tom Cruise uh, changed the <laughs> path of my life when I saw Top Gun. Uh, I remember in the movie theater before the movie was even done. I, like I said, I was in third grade. I was 100% convinced I was going to be a fighter pilot. And soon thereafter, I found out about the Naval Academy and how Annapolis had been building, you know, naval officers and really one of the best ways to become a fighter pilot was to go to that school. So before the end of third grade, I was hundred percent set on that path of becoming, going to the Naval Academy, becoming a fighter pilot. And then it wasn't until seventh grade when another great American changed my life, Charlie Sheen with the movie Navy SEALs. So within that, uh, I was too young to see the movie. So I didn't see the movie, but a friend of mine bought me a sweatshirt that said Navy SEALs on it that came, was being promoted around the movie. And uh, this would have been the late 80s. So no one really knew what a Navy SEAL was. He didn't. He just got it because he knew I liked the Navy and it had a cool logo on it. So when I got that sweatshirt, again, I'd never heard of a Navy SEAL, no clue. I went to the library and found a book called The Men with Green Faces which was one of the few SEAL books that was out in the late late 80s, early 90s, or this would have been the late 80s. And it was a based on, on a SEAL's experiences in Vietnam, but it was a fiction book. And by the end of the book, I was 100% convinced I needed to be a Navy SEAL. A uh, big problem was I was not what you would consider SEAL material. I was always a very small kid, uh, a big thing, in my life, too, that really led me to becoming a SEAL was being uh, bullied, picked on quite badly through middle school and high school. And it would have, even in high school, I would have been laughed at if anyone would have known that my aspirations was to become a Navy SEAL. So I just kept up the front that I was going to be a fighter pilot and still had that goal of going to the Naval Academy. And I did get into the Naval Academy, but the challenge with that was I had already had uh, my vision had gone enough that I couldn't be a pilot. So I'd gotten into West Point, uh, the Army's uh, Academy, as well as the Naval Academy. And I remember going to dinner with my dad and uh, this would have been my senior year in high school. And and at this point, he knew I couldn't be a pilot. So it was discussion of, you know, which school to go to. And 
it was the first time I ever really told anyone other than one of my childhood friends. I said, you know, really, I want to go to the Naval Academy because I want to be a Navy SEAL. And I remember him looking at me. My dad was always very supportive, but I remember him looking at me kind of confused as in, you know, I don't, I don't think that's a good path for you. And I remember him saying, well, you know, that's great, Larry. I'm sure you can do that if you want, but you know, maybe nuclear submarines might be a better, better path for you. And, and I think that was the final nail in the coffin as to, you know, what I was going to do. So I chose to go to the Naval Academy and off I went. And it really wasn't until my sophomore year that I actually grew. Uh, I was five foot two, 107 pounds in high school. And now I'm, you know, over 200 pounds and six, two, but it wasn't until uh, my sophomore year and at the academy that I actually grew. And on top of that, I was definitely not what you would consider seal material, or at least traditionally would be considered seal material. And, that, and part of that is the reason that I was successful. One of the core things that I identified when going through training, uh, it was very surprising to me how many people that on the first day of training, you would have said, I would have bet my bottom dollar would have made it through. And how many people that I would have bet my bottom dollar wouldn't have made it through. And at the end of the six months, the opposite was true, right? The guys that you would have bet on quit and the guys that uh, you would have said had no chance made it through. And so that, that disconnect really bothered me for years. And I actually, I spent years of my life, you know, working through what was what enabled someone to make it through an experience like that. And it's not what you would think. Yeah. That's, I want to go back a step. When you knew that you wanted to be a SEAL, what was it about a SEAL that was appealing to you that you knew that resonated? Yeah. So it was a, it was a handful of things. I mean, one of the core things when I'm really honest about it is uh, to prove one to myself and two to the world that all those things that, you know, the, the quote unquote bullies said weren't true, right. That I wasn't weak, that I wasn't not skilled, right. All of those things that, you know, when you're picked on, you know, is a constant message, right. When you're not part of the group, when you're, when you're an outsider. And, and on top of that, in preparing to go to the Naval Academy, I wasn't the best student, right. I'm smart, but I'm not a genius. And so I had to pad my resume. So any activity that would have me, I would do, which meant I spent a lifetime sucking at things, right? I joined the band. I didn't know how to read music. They gave me the triangle and the symbols, <laughs> right? But I figured uniforms and marching, the Naval Academy is going to like that. I joined the cross-country team. I don't like running. I joined the swimming team. I mean, any, any, I was part of the, the poet or what is it like creative writing group and writing poetry. And I didn't care as long as I could put on my resume, I did it. And in that was one of the secrets to my eventual success of uh, I always sucked at everything I did. Like I was never really good at anything. I was never the best at anything. And being having that those years of not being good, of having to persevere. I remember it was the first day of his first couple hours of training. You show up at Bud's and we're still in our uniforms, like in our whites first day of training. And uh, this was like first couple hours into it. We're getting just our asses handed to us. You know, instructors are yelling and screaming. And all you're doing is push-ups. And at this point, you're only doing sets of 10. And so I've been preparing for this to be a SEAL since seventh grade. I've been, especially through the Naval Academy, four years of hardcore training to prepare for this 
time. I mean, at the time I could do thousands of push-ups, and I remember this went on for like three and a half, four hours. And all it was, was trying to get this class of 135 guys to do 10 push-ups together. And you never quite get it. So you, you all, you get to eight and then it's like stand up or it's staying in the front leaning rest. Then you start over again, start over again, start over again. Before long, you get to the point where you just can't do pull-ups at push-ups anymore. Right. Even though you're only doing sets of 10. And I remember watching one of the guys that uh, he was, I know he was some like famous college athlete. Like he, he had this, I don't remember specifically because he only lasted three hours of training, but you know, he was a stud, like had been a stud his entire life and he quit. So he quit two, two and a half, three hours into it. And I remember what the instructor was saying to him when he quit. So the instructor goes to him and says, you know, we're not even two hours into six months of training. All we're asking you to do is 10 push-ups, and you can't do 10 push-ups. If you're failing at this, how could you possibly think you're going to last six months when we actually get to the hard stuff? Like this is as easy as it gets and you can't do it. So here's a guy that's always been a stud, right? Has always been the best at everything. Is that like designed to really mess with you? Like, do they oh, know what course. to say? To that? That's what they're trying to do, right? It's like, oh, it's all mental, right? So think about, so for this guy, he'd never once not been the best. He'd never had, probably never had a heart workout that was that hard for him, right? He he wasn't a water polo player. He wasn't a wrestler. He wasn't a cross country runner. He's probably like a baseball or football, you know, sports that, yeah, are hard, but they don't take a lot of perseverance. You know, it's short-term stuff. And so Odds are he was, he'd never really had that hard of a workout. He'd always been the best. He'd never failed at anything. And all it took was that crack in the armor that, holy crap, I, I might fail at something that he quit. You know, he quit that, that moment. And then I remember them coming to me and they're, the instructor's yelling at, you know, yelling at me, you know, cause I was an officer. So it's even worse. Like, you know, sir, you can't even do pushups. How are you supposed to lead? You know, you, you absolutely suck. And I, I started laughing, which is not a good idea to start <laughs> laughing in front of the instructor. I started to laugh now. Yeah. And so he's, you know, he's screaming at like, what are you laughing at? sir? So I'm like another day of Larry sucking at something. Like I got this, like, uh-huh. I know how to suck at something like, I, yep. I suck. I always suck. I've sucked my entire life. I'm going to suck tomorrow too. Okay. You know, let's go. You know, what else you want me to do something else I'm going to suck at? Let's go at it. <laughs> so that concept that my whole life, I sucked at everything. I was never very good at anything. I was never the best. I was just good at working hard, right? For my entire life, all I'd done is built perseverance, the ability to self-regulate and being able to have that skill is what enables success, the ability to self-regulate. And that's why when you look at SEALs, the common trait among guys that make it through training is uh, this, and this is universal, is something's not right in their head. Like you can't be normal. And I say that it's kind of funny, but it's also true, right? They ask us to do things that normal people will say no to, right? Between the risk to our well-being, the risk to our life, all of those things are all designed to make it so that normal people will say, no, you know, this isn't for me. And in that choosing to continue to take action, despite all of this, it being impossible to be successful is what it takes. And so, you know, I sucked that day and the guy that was the star athlete that had always been the best, he quit. And 
So I'm still the what got you to know that you wanted to be a Navy SEAL when you were younger. By now, like you've definitely proved you're not a wimp or whatever. Yeah. But you're still severely motivated. <laughs> yeah, and it's part of the process or part of the requirements of showing up is uh, quitting can't be an option. And that this is a very simple statement, but it's also very deep, uh, very deep, impactful statement. So the one thing, you know, the, the secret to getting through SEAL training is to not quit, right? It's really that simple and that hard, right? If you just don't quit, if you don't quit every day, if you don't quit in every evolution, if you don't quit in every pushup that you're trying to do, you'll eventually graduate because everyone that shows up has the raw physical capability to meet the standards. So that was there before you showed up, right? So unless you get hurt or sick, you've got the ability to pass what standards they pass. So then at that point, it becomes a mental game of just not quitting. And what kept you going? Because yeah, I was, I, I'm speculating, but what kept you going? What, what keeps the mental thing going? Or is it proving something to the bullies or is it? Yeah, so it can't be external motivation, mm-hmm. right? So if it was that, and that's why I said the first, the first thing was proving it to myself. Right. That was the, the core. One of the core driving things is that everything that everyone said wasn't true. Right. I needed to prove that to myself. Do I care if the other people, if the external people knew? Maybe, but it didn't really matter. So the first thing was that. Right. Proving to myself that I am more that than I've been told I am. Uh, the second big one is and this was one of the biggest drivers for me. The primary purpose of a SEAL is to hunt bullies. You know, if you de- I define a bully as someone that uses their power to hurt people that don't have power, right? That to me is a bully, right? Someone that has the ability to project force to to use that to hurt someone that doesn't. And what a seal does is we go find those people and kill them, right? The worst ones in the world. So you look when I think about it, one I get to do something that no one else gets, you know that is the one of the biggest tests in the world Two, I get to hunt bullies for a living three. I get to jump out of airplanes, <laughs> shoot, blow stuff up, like sign me up. And, and within that then comes also the calling of, you know, my concern for my life wasn't as great as my concern for my teammates lives, the, my concern for our country, our way of being right. Those things came before my own well being. So you put all that stuff together and you get uh, throw in a big old dose of self-regulation, the ability to persevere, and you, you start to build the recipe of what you need. And the, one of the key parts about that, not quitting. So quitting can't be an option. And that's I'm using those words very specifically. Uh, if quitting is an option, like if there is a possibility that you might not become a SEAL, then that's like a little seed that you're holding with you. And it's someday the instructors are going to plant it. They're going to put just the right water and just the right sunlight on it. And that's going to sprout in a big old tree at quitting. And so for me, there was no quitting wasn't an option. I was either going to be a seal or I was going to be dead. There was nothing in between. And just to kind of reiterate that point. So there's at least three or four times that I can think of very specifically where Uh, We were doing some physical evolution where I was in so much pain and I wanted it to stop so bad that I was willing with every 
ounce of willpower I had in my body, every neuron in my brain, every cell in my body for my heart to explode so I would have a heart attack and die. So this is a very important, like, this isn't a story. I'm not making this up. I I remember trying to have my heart explode just so it would stop hurting so bad. So think about that. In that moment, all I would have had to do was literally take a step to the left and it's all over. Like it would, all the pain stops. Like it's that easy. So in faced with the option of literally at any moment, I can have it stop and everything can get soft and easy and nice, or I want to die so that it'll stop. My choice was to die because quitting, stepping out from underneath the boat wasn't an option. Feeling inspired? Do you like hearing others acting that you're not alone? Go to joshuaspodek.com slash podcast to hear other interviews, but even more valuable. Join the growing community of people who care enough to act, not just talk. Read the list of people who have taken on personal challenges and then commit to one yourself. Don't be surprised if you end up loving it, changing more, and finding people following you without you even trying. That's what happens when you improve your life by living by your values. So you work now with a lot of people. You train a lot of people back here. Mm -hmm. I don't meet many people who do stuff like that or even approach stuff like that. What's it like interfacing with, I was going to say civilians, but even, I mean, with what's it like interfacing with people who aren't even close to that? I'd say it's the biggest thing is it's easy to make big changes. Like it's, that's one of the coolest parts about my job now is the impact that I get to have is monstrous. And usually, especially at the early part, it's so damn easy because I'm not dealing with that level, right? So let's just look at it from the perspective of leadership. When I was a junior officer, so I get out of training, I I get put put into a platoon. I'm now in charge of making decisions for for enlisted SEALs, right? Guys that are underneath my, my command, if you will. So these guys, they one, no. And when I say use the word no, I say no. They don't think, they don't believe, they don't have faith. They know to the core of their being that they're stronger than I am. They know they're smarter than me. They objectively have sometimes 10, 15 years more experience than I do. And the Navy spent a minimum of a million dollars. If not, when they're starting to get into five, six, seven, eight years, like they've got, the Navy's got $2 million invested in building this person to know that if it's humanly possible, they can do it. And they know that they can do it better than better and quicker than just about everyone else in the world. So that type of person, how easy do you think it is to lead that person when you have less experience, you're probably not as strong as they are. You're probably not as good as they are at the things that you, you need to do as a SEAL. Do you think that's easy or hard? I mean, it sounds like it's going to be hard. It, it's going to be extremely hard. On top of that, right? Say you're working with someone. Say you, I imagine you've had a boss at some point. Yeah. If that boss made a bad decision, what was the consequence? I'd have a really, I, I'd really, I'd have a shitty day at the office. I mean, I have to deal with doing work that I didn't want to do. Yeah. Maybe it's a waste of money, a waste of time. Worst case, maybe you lose some sort of deal. I mean, it could just be a, uh, you got to do extra work. If I made a bad decision, they die. Mm -hmm. And on that, like that was a, on a regular basis, right? Our training, we lost more SEALs in training than we do in combat because we train at such a, it's so risky in the way we train, you know, more guys get hurt in training than they do on real world missions. So 
every day, if I make a bad decision as, as a manager or a leader of these guys, their lives are directly impacted. So they don't leave, they don't give me any space to be an ineffective manager or an ineffective leader. It, it, it literally, their life depends on it. And so working in that environment, you know, I look at it like it's being the manager, right? Being a being the officer in the teams, I was the, the boat on their tide, right? Like they're the tide, they're the, they're the force, they're the ones that do everything. My job's just to, to help manage that, that ability and that force. And so being at that high of a level required me to, to very quickly be an effective leader. So I go now into an organization where there is no risk. You know, there is no one, the, the level of performance at the individual level is not very high. Like the ability to influence big change is huge because they just fundamentally don't have to be that effective. Does that answer your question as to what, what's it like? Your original question was, what's it like to work with people now? On one hand, it's amazing because I can have massive impact. Uh, on the other hand, having people work for me has been very frustrating. Civilians, I'll say, quote unquote, work for me have, has been frustrating because my SEALs performed at 110% of the requirement 100% of the time. Like it was it would be the extreme rarity that someone would not fulfill their commitment to a hundred percent. Usually it was 110%. And I'd say every, I don't know, three out of 10 times they perform at 140, meaning they surprise me with how good they do something. Whereas in the civilian world, you're lucky if you can get someone to do a hundred percent of what they say they're going to do consistently. I feel like the way that you put it, I feel like most people would say, man, being a Navy SEAL sounds really hard. That would be too brutal for me. And the way that you put it, it feels like from your perspective, and I think anyone who's listening to you, I mean, you bring it, you, you make me, you remind me a lot of, you know, there's a, the, the two guys, one who makes you feel like he's the smartest person in the world. Yep. And the other one makes you feel like you're the smartest person in the world. And you're saying this in a way of like, I can't imagine being wishing for death. Instead of just stopping, like you just say, yeah, I don't want this anymore. <laughs> yeah. And yet you, you make me feel like, yeah, that's what I want to be. Like that's, I mean. Possible. Yeah. Yeah. It, so when you're talking about the, the people at the Navy SEALs consistently give 110%, no, never give less than 110%, 10%. No, no. So this is, I'm very precise in the language, right? So it isn't about what they're giving. It isn't their efforts. It's about their performance. They perform at 110% of the requirement. That's a lot different than giving 110%. I've, I ultimately don't really care if you're giving 110% yet performing at 40% of the requirement. Okay. Because I got a big gap, right? So my point was, I don't know if they're performing at 40% or 100% or 110% of their capability. What I care about is that when they make a commitment to do something, they fulfill in that commitment 100% of the time. So their performance is at, the performance of the standard is 100% all the time. Ultimately, it's 110%, meaning they generally overperform what the standard is. And on a regular basis, they're dramatically overperforming, meaning they're innovating. They're coming up with new, better ways to do it as opposed to just doing it, as opposed to doing part of it, which is what most civilians do. Like they, This is the example I use. This is a story, but it illustrates it quite well. So uh, I used to run a training facility in Minneapolis. We had 
uh, like 30 some employees. We ran 120 classes a month in uh, fighting fitness and firearms. And what was neat about that is ultimately what we were running was behavior change. So being able to teach people how to change their behavior around their personal safety, around how they protect their families, how, how their fitness, their health, all that stuff. So run that facility. We have a guy, right? So one of the guys that worked for me, his name was Bo. Uh, we have a big company coming in on Thursday. Bo, can you make sure that all the trash is taken out before Thursday morning? Because we have this big company coming into our facility. Sure, no problem. Come in Thursday morning, none of the trash is taken out. Go, hey, Bo, why isn't the trash taken out? Oh, well, uh, the dumpster was locked. So like, well, the dumpster's locked, so I couldn't take out the trash. Well, did you look for the key? Did you ask, look for another dumpster? Did you at least take the stuff out and put it outside in the back and wait until someone, you know, someone with a key shows up? Did you even just call me and ask me where the key was and or tell me that you weren't going to, you couldn't take out the trash because you didn't have the key? Oh, no. You know, that's normal, right? That's normal performance. There's a barricade, there's some sort of trouble, and that's the end of it. Now, if we go back to the SEALs, hey, Johnny, that Admiral's coming in on Thursday. Can you make sure to take out all the trash from the platoon space? No problem, boss. Thursday comes around, there's a knock on the door, the door opens up, and there's shore patrol. The Navy police are at the, the door. What's up? Well, sir, why are there two stolen Humvees in your your uh, driveway? i I don't know. Johnny, why are there two stolen Humvees in the driveway? Well, you told me to take out the trash. I'm not following. Well, we went to take out the trash. The dumpster is locked. So we went over to the EOD unit. We stole their Humvees. We ripped the lid off the dumpster and we took out the trash. <laughs> right? That's the difference in performance. And so, yeah, this reminds me of what I was going to say was that I think most people say, oh, being a SEAL is like brutal. And I think from your perspective, living the way of, oh, it's locked, end of story, must be... It, it's like, that's brutal for me. Absolutely. Yeah, brutal. Like, it drives me insane. And people saying I can't, or I don't know. And just accepting flaws to like, I can do it, but, and, and like you're saying, like, could you do this? Did you do this? Do this? And what this guy actually did was like, he's like, did I find an excuse? Yep. Got an excuse. End of story. And it's not my fault. That's the other crazy part is he will 100% believe that he did everything he could. Like he went to take out the trash. There was a barricade. So he stopped doing it. And that's the the difference in performance is insane. And it's purely mindset. Like that's why everything we do now is behavior, is behavior directed, right? It's all about behavior, being able to modify behavior because he, he had the physical ability, he had the intelligence, he had all the raw materials to take out the trash, but because, based on both behavior, based on mindset, the way he sees the world, he is limited in his ability to perform. Based on a SEAL's mindset, the way they see the world, as well as the behaviors that are in place, they perform at a significantly higher level. The most important skill, like, and this to me is a, uh, this came from Eric Davis, one of, my, one of my good SEAL buddies. He said that one of the key parts about the success of SEALs and the SEAL teams is a bit, one very critical skill being an expert at becoming an expert, you know, beyond anything else, that's the most important thing. You know, you take two seals, you put them in any, you know, basket weaving class, they're going to learn how to basket weave better than most people, quicker than most people. We're experts at becoming experts, you know, and that ability to learn means you can't have an ego because if you got an ego, then you know what to do, you know, the answer, you're good enough. 
And the one thing that they're going to literally beat out of you is anyone with that can't put their ego aside is not going to become a SEAL because that's dangerous, right? Because if you know what the right answer is and am not willing to learn a better way or a new way, you're going to put my life at risk someday. So you don't get to be part of the team. Now, I got to go meta for a second here because we both have to, we both have time commitments. Yeah. And you asked earlier, uh, did that answer your question? I'm like, Dude, you could, we could, I, I would love to go for like hours and hours and days and days. And, and like, we just start to scratch the surface. Yep. And the question on my mind now, I'm going to say the question, even though I know we're not going to be get to yeah. fulfill it, but I'm thinking I'm torn because I'm thinking, I don't like to give up. It really frustrates me when people do stuff like that. I don't think that I do that. I think I used to do that. I think I do it a lot less, but so I'm thinking oh, I'm with you on this one, but then I'm thinking, I don't think that I push myself to the limits that you have. I, I'm thinking back to like getting my PhD and some of the stuff I did with studying, which is a totally different world. Yeah. But it was like really mind bending stuff of like trying to understand general relativity and things like that. But it's not comparable. Well, it is. So this is this was a big a big turning point. So I can answer this in the time that we have. And I think you know, if anything, this is one of the biggest gifts I could give to your listenership with this. So. Like I said, one of the things that bothered me, I have to, one of the core things from me being even a little kid was I had to learn how things worked. Like if I saw something and couldn't understand how it worked or why it worked, it would cause me problems. And one of the things I couldn't figure out was why some people made it through and other people didn't. And the core thing, this is seven years of going through neuroscience and books and study and research and interview. I mean, lots and lots of work. I finally figured it out the key is the ability to self-regulate. Now, this is the cool part. So a good book to read is Iron War. So uh, as in Iron, the Iron Man triathlon. So Iron War is an amazing book about these two amazing triathletes and what it took for them to win. But there's some really good neuroscience in there too about perseverance. And in that book, it kind of connected the dots to me, for me. So the ability to self-regulate is controlled by two parts of the brain. Uh, these two parts of the brain are control both the uh, retention of what I'm trying to regulate as well as like an alarm system when I'm outside of that regulation. So two to, two parts of the brain. The cool part about this is this these parts of the brain work the same way as every other part of the brain. So you can create neural pathways there. You can literally become smarter. You can best become stronger. You could become better at self-regulation you can create those pathways. Now, the ability to self-regulate is a fixed amount, a fixed ability, depending on how many neural connections you have in those parts of the brain. So you can think of it uh, like a, I like to think of it like a bank, meaning if I practice like the cerebellum controls motor function, if I practice baseball a lot, I get better at it. If I don't practice, I don't get good at it. If I practice quitting a lot, I'm going to get really good at it. If I practice self-regulation, I'm going to get good at it. This is the cool part. Mental, physical, and emotional self-regulation is controlled by the same part of the brain. So it doesn't matter if you're studying hard, if you are restricting, say, yelling at someone, or if you're doing push-ups, right? The ability to continue to regulate mentally, physically, and emotionally is the same part of the brain. So I like to think of it like a bank. When I practice in one domain, I can leverage that in another domain depending on where my purpose is focused. So every chance I get to put a, put a couple quarters in the self-regulation bank, I do. And that could be as simple as like, I'm going to have a beer after the interview. I'll go to have a beer. Instead of just grabbing the beer and drinking it, I'll pause 
and choose to have the beer. And sometimes I choose to have the beer and then put it back in the fridge and don't drink it. That's like putting a quarter in the bank. So being able to build up this skill of self-regulation is ultimately what can lead to dramatic success in any domain. So the work you did in for your doctorate has also enabled you to do some, I've seen from what you've done, some fi- amazing physical things. Because while you were studying for your doctorate, you're putting in dollar bills, $10 bills, $100 bill into that self-regulation bank. You're creating those neural connections that when you started to say pointed at doing burpees, you're now able to do burpees when other people can't because you've put the, the money in the bank, that perseverance bank back in the day. Yeah, I want to, I'm flattered that you say that. <laughs> And, and uh, motivated to put more dollars in the bank. Yeah. And it's a simple choice you can make every single day. And instead of continuing, I would like to propose that we continue in another conversation. I agree. And to record that as well. Definitely. Okay. I'm just going to throw out a few things that I would love to like. Touch on. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't really meddle with that iron war. It's like you can train yourself to train yourself. And it's, it's, and it's the sort of thing that like that's, you want everyone to get that. And it's, one of, it's like one of the most important things, but it's really subtle and it's tough to get. It takes intention and focus and attention, right? Intention to develop it, focus to develop it, and attention. You have to be present to this. And that's where most people are lost, right? That's why I don't pay attention to the news. I'm not on social media because I only have so much self-regulation, right? I want to put my attention, my intention, my focus towards something that serves me, not just distraction. And this enthusiasm is so, like, I'm like wishing I was a lot younger so I could be like, I, do I want to become a Navy SEAL? <laughs> but it's, I, I, I can see the, all right, we got to stop now because <laughs> we both have to go. The close of part one, but it's it's soon about to be about the beginning of part two. Larry Yatch, thank you very much. And I, I take it we'll reschedule by email and, and figure out when we get on next. For sure. Yeah, we'll, we'll hit it next time. And, you know, in the meantime, uh, hopefully you can see and your listeners can hear the passion that I have for performance, right? And And the big thing that we do is give people structural ability to change their behaviors. And that, to me, is the key to our success in anything, right? Our behaviors lining up to our strategy, lining up to our our vision or our goal is what enables success in any domain. As a business person, as a student, as a SEAL, as a, a husband in a marriage. And so being able to leverage these tools and teach them is what, what we do now. And we really love it. So if there's anyone out there that needs help with that, let me know. All right. And I'll put how to reach you in the, in the notes and things like that. Well, Larry Ash, thank you very much. Looking forward to next time already. Yeah. Hell yeah. It was good. Good talking to you again. I used to think military leadership was simple. There's a chain of command. You just tell someone what to do and they have to do it. But that's not even close. It's based on the same social and emotional skills of teamwork, training, understanding, and all the things that apply to all teamwork. The performance he talks about, it doesn't have to be as intense or applied to things as intense as being a Navy SEAL, doing Navy SEAL life and death work. But the rewards of living by your values, at least in my experience, is worth it. I don't know how my performance compares with his, but to the extent it does, I've found that putting forth the effort to live by my values, I find it, however intense it looks from other people's perspective, liberating, joyful, that creates community, that it's connecting me to others. So how is it what looks like being a stickler, how is that liberating? For example, people talk about environmental action as being hard. Oh, Josh, not everyone can cook for themselves all the time. Not everyone can stop eating meat. And that's not even the language that this is about. 
if what I'm applying is the same thing as what he's talking about, the skill is not in doing something that's hard. There is some training in that, but it's in learning to enjoy fresh fruits and vegetables, not to dislike something else and stop doing that, but to go towards something that you do like. Then after you do that, in my experience, packaged food becomes disgusting. So it's not hard. You have to, it's a mental shift and a behavioral shift, and then it becomes easy. Now I'm doing my best to describe my takeaways from what Larry said, but of course, listen to him more. I'll have him on again, and I expect that he'll clarify more then. Did you feel inspired too? Then act. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and click to commit to your personal challenge so you can inspire others. Value means better and worse, and living by your values means living better by your values. You may struggle at first, but it's the hero's journey from living by others' values to living by yours. People say that little things add up. I won't argue against it, but what I find counts is acting. Doing something, anything, starts that mindset shift from the debilitating others should act first or making excuses to the empowering I can make a difference and living by my values improves my life. I don't have to wait for others to act first. I'm looking for leaders, people who will bring what works here in this podcast to communities I haven't reached. Billions of people want to change their behavior. There's room for leadership from personal leadership of just yourself to whatever scale you want. Start by acting and changing yourself. Go to joshuaspodak.com slash podcast and commit to your personal challenge.